We'll open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, we're in chapter 13 this morning. The last chapter of this book. We've got about four or five more sermons left. We will take a break in the middle of that for the month of June. Dan Kruver, one of our elders, will preach for us through the book of 1 John in four sermons. That's something to look forward to and a way that you can pray for him and our church. Uh, We're not going to slow down too much through chapter 13, but we are going to go a little slower than we have through some chapters, and you'll see why. When a plane comes in for a landing, you hear the landing gear and maybe the announcement, if you're listening, uh, to buckle up. Well, we have been in the clouds in this book where Christ is seated at the Father's right hand, having gone through the clouds, truly and figuratively, having taken us there so that we worship as a heavenly people with the angels, even this morning. Well, now, as it were, we come back down to earth, and we begin this series of messages in chapter 13 with a bump, the first of a string of ethical commands. And so I say to you, let us buckle up. Let's read together verses 1 through 3 and get a start at it. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. And this is God's word for us this morning. And the author will go on in the subsequent passages with more commands concerning how we live and live together and live in this world. Uh, He'll offer some closing greetings, which is customary in New Testament letters like this. This this little portion begins, let brotherly love, love continue. And a word about hospitality and remembering those in particular forms of hardship, which we'll get detailed on in a moment. This passage comes to us in the middle of the book of Hebrews, but this, it occurs to me as a reminder why we need preaching every week. And really, preaching through books as an ideal way of, of feeding ourselves together. Uh, as a way of protecting us from falling into common traps of, for example, thinking that this is all that's in the Bible, uh, commands to love. What is the message of the Bible? The message of the Bible is love. Well, we can unpack that. Um, but we, hap- we happen, in our smallness of mind, apart from God's Word, continually renewing our mind, our small vision of God, and what he calls us to, to think that the Bible is just a command to love. Well, of course, there is very much more to it than that. Or we may be vulnerable to following the trap of thinking this is actually all we need from the Bible. So there's all kinds of things in the Bible and, 
and uh, you know doctrines and things, you know messages about what Jesus is doing and, and what he did. But but really, what we need is this. This is the good stuff right here. This is this is where this is where it really counts, and this is where we should really perk up, and this is what we should be really passionate about. We should be really passionate about about love, and maybe we can bear with some of the other things. No, we need weekly preaching so that we don't think this is all that's in the Bible, and so that we don't think this is all that we need from the Bible. We, we trust God's word here at Heritage, and, and of course many churches do, and we open the scriptures, and we take what's next, and we let God speak to us, and we listen to him speak to us. And we don't come with our questions first, but we come to be questioned and to be told what we need to hear. Uh, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He certainly knows himself better than we know him. And he reveals himself to us truly in his, in his word. Uh, imagine saying, I don't need gas. Uh, I just need to go to work. Um, or uh, I don't need a well. Uh, I just need something to drink. Um, well, those aren't mutually exclusive. They kind of go together. I don't need a surgeon. I just need this cancer out. Um, so there are, there are various, I could keep going with that and all of those illustrations would break down at some point, but you get the idea. Sometimes we, we do that to God's word and we have to be careful. And weekly preaching can help us there. See, it's not that we, we're making too much of love and that Scripture calls us and commands us to love. It's the second table of the Ten Commandments, the law and the Old Covenant. And those are good commands. It's that we don't make enough of it, that we think we can get away with a bare command. And that just betrays the fact that we really have no idea what we are called to after all. Otherwise, we would find ourselves a well. We would find ourselves a pump to fuel up on. We would... We would hear this command and run to the place where we can find help and energy to, to keep it. And that's why chapter 13 comes after chapters 1 through 12. Um, are you just a chapter 13 Christian? Or are you a chapters 1 through 13 Christian? Or are you a chapter 13 and sometimes we'll get around to 1 through 12 Christian? Or are you a I need to keep chapter 13, but oh, I need chapters 1 through 12. That's what we're seeking to cultivate among one another here as a church family. We love because he first loved us. Amen? There's no other way. This kind of love that Scripture calls us to is not possible apart from a cross and a resurrection and the Holy Spirit in the reign of Jesus, it's just not. You can staple it onto yourself, I guess. You can work up outward actions that look something like love, and love does move, which we'll see. It, it moves to action. But this kind of love that we're called to is not something that you can do in and of yourself. You are not, you are not the source of this. And so let us go to the source of it together. Well, this morning, this sermon and this text is about the church's love. The church's love one for another. It is, we could say, the tip of the iceberg. 
There are the invisible things that we believe by faith. Our confession of faith, for example. These are the visible things that you can actually see. Our membership covenant, for example, captures some of this. Or we could say it's not a tip of an iceberg. It's the tip of heaven on earth. It's it's where heaven touches down on earth. And really, that's not a bad illustration because just the passage before, we've come to the new Jerusalem. We're in the presence of God. We're indwelt by his spirit. We worship the Son and through the Son. And we're a heavenly people offering heavenly worship. And loving one another with brotherly love. See, these go together. That passage about worship is followed with a command concerning our love because that is where heaven's worship touches down on earth. Can't go about one and pull it apart from from the other. To be a true worshiper of God through the Lord Jesus Christ is to give yourself wholly to a local church in love. It is to recognize that a local church is God's gift to you in love and his way of loving you. We need only to give brotherly love, not only, but to receive it as well. And how kind is God in such a cold world that he would give to us brothers and sisters to love us right here. He's enough, yes, and he has supplied for us part of his enoughness, which is the love of church family. And don't get about loving in doing church apart from Christ's proper proper worship. These These things go together. The church's love is where and how heaven touches down on earth. Or we could put it this way. Christ's unshakable kingdom is seen in the church's unshakable love. And I'll show you a little bit why I say that love is unshakable. It's not just a nice turn of phrase. He's really calling us to unshakable durable, enduring love. The unshakable kingdom, that invisible thing, and the church's love, that which can be seen. Before we start walking through this short passage, I want to answer a question. Is this really talking about the church? Um, I have to make a decision every Sunday. How much do I decide to prove to you? Um, there's work that's done and conclusions that are made and then preaching on that basis, and I'm happy simply to claim it and to preach on the basis of, of that understanding here. But in this case, I think it's worth arguing for it. After all, brotherly love, let that continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Well, I don't usually think of, I mean, I don't know all of you. You don't all know each other, but strangers, that's kind of a strange way to refer to brothers and sisters in in Christ under the rubric of church, isn't it? Uh, Those who are in prison, those who are mistreated, well, shouldn't Christians care about the mistreated and presumably they're they're in prison wrongly? Shouldn't we care about those suffering under injustice or or people in prison in general? We, We care too and Christians have done much for prisoners in prison and we should. Is this really about one thing or is it about several classes of people that are loved 
by Christians. Because that would preach, right? Well, here's a case for the claim that we're dealing with a passage that concerns the church. Literarily speaking, I've already mentioned that this passage follows from chapter 12, where we've been speaking about the church's heavenly nature and her heavenly worship, and it seems right that there would be a move now to speak about the church's life. It says, let brotherly love continue. That seems like a a hinge. Theologically speaking, isn't this the pattern in the New Testament that we mark from doctrine and what we believe to be true concerning Christ than to what ought to be true for his people? We move from creed to conduct, from things of eternal life to how that eternal life touches down in life. Isn't that true? That's true. That is the consistent pattern in our scriptures that that Christianity isn't a religion that begins with what you need to get about doing so that invisible things, eternal things can be true of you like you earn them. It's it's your, your, you believe promises and they, they're true of you because God works by grace and he, then he gives you commands and transforms you to keep them. Um, and, and if you look at letter after letter in the New Testament, those commands which follow off of all that doctrinal teaching don't scatter into every direction, but they focus on the life of a church. This is what it sounds like he's doing to me. Um, grammatically speaking, these three imperatives are, are linked Uh, brotherly love, and it's hard to see here in the English, but in verse 2, stranger love. Brother love and stranger love. There's a little verbal mirror between those two. But then verse 2 and 3, you have do not neglect or do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And the inverse of that, remember those who are in prison. It seems like these three are a package and they they go together. Culturally, strangers doesn't have to be randoms, um, people that you bump into on the street, um, but Christians traveling through the region would qualify who need a place to stay because they're networking for the sake of the gospel. And in terms of the historical situation, uh, Christians were really in prison. That was a real kind of need of the hour situation that would have been very top of mind for these Christians. And thematically, brotherly love on one side of the passage, and since you're also in the body on the other side, which I don't think is a reference to the body of Christ, I'll show you, but there's a certain identification he's calling his readers to, which just befits a certain association through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it's about the local church, and by extension, this church's handling of Christians from other churches as they travel through or are in hardship for Christ's sake. So, now we're on the same page. We have here a passage about the local church. And if you weren't arguing with me about that, then at least maybe it has come into sharper focus now and we can hear it more clearly. And how they relate, I think, can be discerned this way. Let brotherly love continue is an umbrella command. And then we have two follow-up commands that are, if you will, test cases or stress tests. These are are commands that reflect certain vulnerabilities. So let's say I I, um, I 
kids, you know, dad comes into your room and says, hey, clean up your room. And don't forget under the bed and in the corner. Now, what he doesn't mean is clean up your room. And by that, I mean under the bed and in the corner. What he means is clean up your room, all the obvious stuff. And don't miss the under the bed part because it's hard to see. And don't miss the corner where you stash some things uh, because that you think I might miss it or, or you'll be tired by the time you get to it. So he's a good pastor. He knows his readers' vulnerabilities. And so he says, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You see, that's going to be hard. We'll explore that. And then he says, remember those who are in prison. Well, that's obvious because they're away from you. And, but they need love. So don't busy yourself with other forms of love to the neglect of these particular cases. You see how it hangs together? It's a beautiful picture of the church's love. And really the second two commands, if you can keep those, all kinds of other things come with them, which we will explore just a little bit. But for the most part, our attention will be on what we're, what we're hearing and what he's stressing, what he's stressing here. So we know what we're talking about here, the church's love. We know who we're talking about. Uh, the church, these strangers, and those in prison are mistreated. Uh, now let's consider how we may go about it together. The preacher in this book gave me an outline, so we're just going to go with three points, of course, and for three commands. The first, let us love those who are with us. Let us love those who are with us. Let brotherly love continue. And we've heard the author say, draw near with a full assurance of faith, calling them to hold fast their confession. And now he says, let brotherly love continue. This is not a general love command for people in general. This is a specific command for a specific kind of love for a specific kind of people. It's interesting. It's the only command in this short passage that doesn't come with reasons. And I just looked at that and thought, oh, author, it would have been neater if you would have had a reason there because I'm preaching a sermon on your sermon. And, you know, it's kind of nice when things click along in a nice and even way. And in the back of my mind, I'm not thinking, but kind of thinking, I will have to clean this up. But of course, those kinds of moments are only reasons for investigating and pondering why might this be the case. So why doesn't he give reasons? Well, in the first place, they're already doing it. Let brotherly love continue. Continue. So if, you know, I'm good at getting oil changes in my car and faithful about it, and you say, hey, Trent, get an oil change, and then you kind of give me 15 reasons. I'm a little embarrassed that you might think I neglect this. And yet it's fine to say, hey, don't forget to get an oil change if I'm headed out on a trip across the country. Um, And sometimes we'll even hear, we'll want to remind someone of something, but we'll even hear in my head head how it might be heard, and so we'll say, I know you're probably already doing this. Well, in this case, this author knows they're already doing it. He has encouraged them up and down in different ways in different moments about their love for each other, their joy in trial and their property being plundered. They're all in together 
and they are with Christ. And they've had great and shining moments, and he's not throwing shade on that at all. It's a good lesson for those of us who are exhorters. I'm an exhorter, and if you'd have known me wind the clock back, I don't know, 20 years, all I might have had to say about a church or myself or friends was, hey, you should. And uh, the apostles go a long way to fixing us on that and, and making pastors better pastors on this over time. Here he is saying, let brotherly love continue. It's, a, it's an invitation. It's a stirring up to love and good works. It's not a shove. It's, a, it's an encouragement, even if it's a command. Let it continue. Apparently, think on what brotherly love is. Apparently, they were already sharing. That's one of the first things we learn, isn't it? Share. And it makes no sense. And it's the imposing presence of the parent and the threat of discipline that makes a kid give up one toy and give it to the other. And maybe it comes out like, okay, whoosh, at the other kid. Or maybe it comes out this way, you know, uh, not from the heart yet. Apparently, they were already sharing life together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Apparently, they were already caring for each other with brotherly affection. Affection. A tenderness of heart, not just a getting along, not just a bearing with each other. There's that. Get to that in a moment. Apparently, they liked each other. And uh, we don't all have to be buddies here at, at church. You can't hang out with everyone to the same extent. But we're not exactly just a nice, big, efficient gathering in one location to pool our resources to have a facility. But otherwise, really, we just hang out with people who do the same things we do uh, for sports or hobbies. Common interests are fine. Not giving you trouble for those. But a church really is not just a, a cobbling together of niche interest groups, is it? Or folks going through the same things in life, and I hope all young moms have other young moms who are the same age, and retirees, retirees, but wow, we need to mix it up, and we do, and we should. And that's a manifestation of God's unshakable kingdom on earth is when that happens, and it's happening here. But let brotherly love continue. So I'm saying to you, it's going on. So let it continue. You share life with one another. You, you care for each other and are affectionate with one another. Sharing, you're caring and, and forbearing. You are with each other. I see it. And, and they were apparently forbearing with each other too. Let brotherly love continue. Because here's the thing about brothers. You can't, can't really get out of it, right? Uh, when you're in a family, it's not like a friend might snuff you and change over time, or you come back to school in sixth grade after fifth grade, and your best buddy in fifth grade now has new best buddy, and, and maybe that can work with guys a little easier with girls, but not when he's now your enemy, and you're his enemy. Some, how did this happen? Um, well, moving on, you know, parents, good advice to kids, you don't need to be friends with them. I mean, be nice to them, but you don't. Don't live for their approval at this point. Some folks are just really mean. Um, well, in a family, you've got to figure it out. You have to figure it out. And that's a part of being brothers in a family and sisters in a family and brothers and sisters 
in a family. And by inference, parents, isn't this a good reason to work hard with our kids to get along? Even to expect them to get along? Your sisters, that's your brother. You're not allowed to envy. You are not allowed to speak that way. You are to these emphatic commands. We are family, and you are to love your sibling. You cannot talk that way. And to build muscles for working it out among siblings. So to train them to get along with anybody down the road. But also so that they can read commands like this and not think, brotherly love, wait a second, that's bad, isn't it? (laughs) No, brotherly love, oh, we had our trouble, um, but I know what that is. It's sharing life together. It's caring with affection that is forbearing together because we are together. And so I think one reason there isn't a reason here is because he doesn't need to belabor the point. They're already showing brotherly love. And so as I look at you, I say, continue showing brotherly love. Don't miss what God has done among you and give him thanks for it. But there's another reason he doesn't give a reason here, and I'm going to go back on what I just said. It's baked in. It's baked in. Brotherly love, that's the kind of love we're to show. It's also a reason to show it. (laughs) Your brothers, your family. Brotherly love just fits our relationship, and it fits their relationship. And as they would read this, and as we read this after this series through 12 chapters, there's a flood of images and references that come to mind. High-flying theology that comes to mind. At first, obscure Old Testament quotes that come to mind through which we hear the Father call us sons. Through which we hear our Lord Christ from heaven call us brothers. Something he can do. Something he's not ashamed to do. He'd have all kinds of reasons to be ashamed to associate with us. Oh no, he was sent and in love he came and he became fully human and took on flesh in order to bring many sons to glory. And it is because he came to get us to bring many sons for the Father to glory that he can call us brothers. And the reason we can be called sons of the Father is because we're brothers of the Son, you see. We've been brought into the fellowship of our triune God. And we have explored this in weeks past. And so when we hear, let brotherly love continue, he needs say, no more. Oh, we know what's been given to us. We know the privilege that is ours. And we know the privilege that is our brother or sisters in Christ, don't we? No, we sit next to and we fellowship with and we text with and we go to small group with and we share meals with co-heirs with Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit has said to us. The Father is saying, you're my sons, and the Son is saying, you're my brothers. The Holy Spirit from the Old Testament scriptures is promising and now tells us you are heirs. You are co-heirs with Christ. That promised land promised to Israel, oh, all that it was as a foretaste is ours in Jesus, the Holy Spirit having come to us so that we have the personal presence and knowledge of the triune God. 
And we've entered into his rest. We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, you see. And all this is ours. And all we need here, if we're hearing it with ears to hear, is let brotherly love continue. And it occurs to us that as we look around, and as they would have looked around, we see men and women to whom we are joined for no other reason that Christ has died and was raised and is seated for them. We didn't end up in this room or this relationship because, and maybe by invitation of some common interest or some work relationship, but it is the blood of Jesus, our great high priest who's gone into the heavens for us and who brings us with him, and the only reason any of us are here is because of him. And it is an immense privilege and a sense way deep down in the heart of every Christian and member of this church of the immense privilege that it is to be called a son of God translates into a sharing of life and a caring with affection and a forbearing with one another. There's no power to get along, to really share our lives or to really care apart from the knowledge of God through Jesus, our great high priest, is there. And we know this more at some times than others. Maybe we know this the most when we're sitting under the preached word and seeing things the most clearly. That's why we keep coming back. But let's pray God helps us to know this all the more over time, to instruct us in it so that it would be especially true in our relationships marked by love. This command, brotherly love, just fits. It just fits the nature of our relationship. It's also a special kind of love, not because of its nature as brotherly love, familial love, but because it is an enduring forever love. It fits and it is forever. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love remain. It's the same word. Remember what we heard? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, yet once more I will shake not only earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And last week, that very passage, we said that you and I remain. God will judge the heavens and the earth, and he will bring about a new creation, and we remain. This is why I say a local church like this is heaven touching down in this age, in this place. How, how, can, how can we tell we remain? What about us remains? Well, let brotherly love remain. I take it it's a play on words. It's, he's a good preacher. He's using words to move his, his hearers through his material. I, I think it's an encouragement, a genuine encouragement that it's going on among them. But it sure sounds to me like he's also saying that as you have received an unshakable kingdom and he will shake the heavens and earth and the things that remain, remain, so let brotherly love remain. Because it lasts. 
which is to say all of your work and your career building and business building and hobby building and all of the other gifts the Lord has given to us have their place and we can give praise to God for them and glorify him in and through them. There is a special thing that is in focus here that brings him glory, that reveals his kingdom in this age. There is something very special that will remain, and it is the love of Christians one for another. Let brotherly love continue. And of course, didn't Jesus say this is how, this is how they'll know that we belong to him? This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. That's where the love comes from. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love remain. That's the first umbrella command. The the header over the whole thing. Now, Now the stress tests. We're skipping over so many details. Uh, You can fill them in. You know what that means in this relationship or or that. We're going to skip all the way to the corner and under under the bed. Vulnerabilities. The first things to go when we start to slack or weaken in spirit here. Let us love those who are new to us. Verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Showing hospitality to neighbors is biblical and good. Uh, Hard to imagine a, a more generous introduction and way practically to establish a relationship and communicate your interest in a neighbor than to have them into your home and to spend your time with them to open your life and your day to them so that they might open their life uh, to you. Uh, New colleagues at work, hospitality. This, I've argued and believe, is talking about hospitality to those Christians who are traveling through in in that context because in that ancient world, Christians were great networkers and were all about moving. And so if you weren't on the move, you were hosting those who were on the move as the gospel was spreading and going to the nations. And apostles and evangelists were traveling. Inns were gross. Inns were dangerous. Inns were few. So this was a great need, places to stay. And it was a basic Christian given that we would, as Christians, host one another traveling through, especially as we are on mission for Jesus. So that's who he's talking about, I believe. Well, why would that be so difficult? Well, in the first place, it's costly, naturally. Uh, Hospitality can be expensive in terms of time. Uh, It can be financially expensive if you're going to do it right in terms of food, something to be budgeted for. Um, It certainly would be the case for many Christians in the first century who were not necessarily well-to-do, costly. It's expensive. It doesn't necessarily pay you back. Remember Jesus' words here. 
concerning the, 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 the way in which we naturally neglect hospitality. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, uh, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Uh, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So uh, why is he saying this? Because we have a tendency to think, like run a little calculation. Ooh, if I have them over, um, they can help me with this. Now, I don't think Jesus, I'm telling you, he's not ruling out hospitality among people that might do something for you. He is saying that the motive of the heart in showing hospitality, biblically speaking, is willing for it to terminate in the gift that it is to the guest. It is a gift for their good without the expectation of return. Now, we've had people over for dinner who would then help us paint a family room, it's occurring to me. I don't think it violates that either. You're tracking with Jesus. He's getting at the matter of the heart. Um, Do you have people over when they can help you out socially and never else? Or are you somewhat indiscriminate? In other words, you, you meet somebody on a Sunday and extend an invitation. Whether it seems like you might get along on everything or not or have so much, so much in common. And for you, having them over may not be so easy. We, we aren't all married to believing spouses where, where Christian hospitality would be the most natural. It might mean going out for a meal. It might mean taking a meal to somebody who needs it. Maybe hosting is especially difficult given your age and circumstances. And, but maybe you're a great cook and you can help a young mom out with a meal to free her up that week when you pick up that this is a particularly hard season. Um, Spend some time imagining what hospitality might look like for you at the next level. I'll let you pick up where I I left off there. The point here is that hospitality, biblically speaking, is the giving of ourselves to others for their good, the opening of our homes and our lives and our dinner tables. It doesn't have to be food, but often includes food. Everyone's got to eat. We had some folks at our home uh, just last night, actually, and... We've got these three-year-olds, and one of them runs into the playroom immediately and hides in a little tent and says, this is mine. And she's never done that before, but we also haven't had a two-year-old walk in the house before. So the two-year-old walks in the house, my three-year-old runs into the tent and lays claim to her tent. Now, once she realized that the guests weren't going anywhere, she warmed up, and it warmed up quite a bit to the point where it was showing off, basically. And I just chuckled, laying in bed, thinking, did anything happen today that could be useful in adding some color to my sermon? And actually, yes. Isn't that what we do? Um, My house is clean, or my house is not clean, I can't have company. Now, some of us probably need to lower our standards a little bit. Others of us could afford to clean up a little bit. I'm not saying who's who. You know, honor the guest. I'm not saying it's wrong to clean up. Don't have a guilty conscience or don't, like, criticize your spouse for wanting it to be a little more clean. Sometimes the spouses both need to do this, okay? Um, 
But it's possible to clean the house to show off. Figure out where your line is. It's about making them comfortable. It's about getting the things out of the way so there's room for them. Uh, It's not about us, right? It's, It's not entertainment. It's not about your reputation. It's about their good and their comfort and brotherly love to a brother or a sister in Christ. So no clutching our things and saying mine, our time, our money, our or whatever, um, and no inviting them in so that, so that they can give you praise, stated or unstated. Now, it's difficult because it's costly, it's expensive, and if we do it right, we're not seeking payment back. It's also risky, at least in the case of the original readers. They might be hosting a spy unawares, depending on the city, These Christians were in trouble in their community simply for believing in Christ. And I say simply, but it's a big deal to believe that the resurrected son is seated at the right hand of God, that one crucified by Rome. Now, Rome is gone. But what happens when Rome is your ruler on earth? No, they were in in a hot seat. And to host could put them in a vulnerable position. When Apostle Paul first became a Christian, Christians were all hesitant about that. For real, the, uh, Paul, Saul, the one who sent criminals or Christians, excuse me, to their death. And they came around, and certainly Paul convinced us he was converted. But that's a real hesitation. It comes with risks. And that's just to say that Christians are willing to risk what hospitality might cost. That's why it's difficult. Well, why is it so important? Well, now that reason here. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Hmm. You might host a spy unawares. You might also host an angel unawares. Now, that's all I have. So maybe you will host an angel. I don't have a test that you can uh, take, you know, on the internet to find out if it was an angel or not. Um, <laughs> I've got nothing. Like, it's all I've got. Uh, what I can tell you is that there are some instances revealed to us in Scripture whereby some were entertaining angels and didn't know it. Abraham, for example, hosted three men, ended up telling him that they would conceive a year from that point. And those men went to Sodom and were guests at Lot's house. And they were angels, entertained angels unawares. Now, look what I did. I use the word, we don't entertain, but we host. You know what's going on there. He was showing hospitality, putting them up, feeding them, caring for them, loving them. And there ended up being more to the story. You never know who you're putting up. On the other hand, when you're hosting a brother or a sister in Christ, you know exactly who you're putting up. And angels long to look into the things that have become true of you and me. Angels are the messengers that revealed the old covenant. And the Son has brought a new covenant. And he has made us not servants, but sons and daughters of the living God. That's true 
of your brothers and sisters. And hey, that's even better than angels. You never know who you're putting up, but on the other hand, well, yes, we do. And C.S. Lewis spoke about this very matter. The dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And if we're in Jesus and we have come to believe in him, and if he is your high priest, the one who takes away all your sins and has forgiven you and has brought you to God, oh, then all that you are is not revealed to the eye at the moment. Oh, but it will be, and you will be revealed in everlasting splendor. And so will your brothers and sisters. And so doesn't this encourage us to get together around food and to talk and to search out the grace of God at work in each other's lives and to enjoy what God's grace has wrought in each other's lives in the comfortable fellowship of good conversation with Christian friends. Let brotherly love continue. And don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Make some new friends around here. I was in a meeting this week, and I thought I would open up um, some brothers and sisters with the question, how are we doing on this? And uh, I couldn't capture it all, but it was all really positive. So let hospitality to strangers continue. And it took a little bit of work in that conversation to narrow, like, no, not love in general, not hospitality in general, and not even hospitality among friends in the church in general, but hospitality among, let me narrow it to this, those who are new to us, who are passing through or, I think by way of application, who are moving here and who are our guests. Matt Jackson's first night here with family, Melissa McKinnon brought them dinner and talked for 45 minutes with the family. Steve Hall called Matt three times prior to his move. Matt had scouted Greenville and Heritage Bible Church and popped in on a Sunday. And one of our elders meets him and then is won't give up over the next six months. That's wonderful. The Priolos, I remember this, emailed the church office. They were in California. And uh, we were trying to get to know the church and had a few questions. And they were handed off by email to Jennifer Figueroa and Manny, Shepherd and Group leaders. And a friendship was kindled over email that lasted a handful of months so that when the Priolos visit, they come to our shepherding group. They're hoping to land a particular job for Mike. And they, move, they go back to California and are praying. Doesn't land that job, but they email and say, we're moving anyways. And no small part of that was the church's hospitality and the hospitality of that family in our church. 
Um, I don't know if it was a joke or not, but I think they bought a house on some part of town with the hope of being in the same small group. <laughs> um, I like the idea of it, at least. The Erkins, Mike and Michelle, we sat down with them about three years ago, and this was maybe September, October, and just in the life of this church, we have seen as many visitors in the space of maybe three years as we saw in the space of three months between November and February. And just in the course of maturing the ministry trellis around here, we wanted to build a newcomer's reception, something that was more personal and up close than visiting after church with a pastor, but not a commitment like a six-week membership class. And so we host about a half an hour deal in, in that reception room across the way and, and invited the Erkins because we just sensed they were the right couple to help. And they said, well, why are you asking us? Um, uh, what do you want us to do? We're like, we don't know exactly. Here are the goals and here's what I'm going to say and refreshments and kind of brainstormed a little bit together and you know, if pastors dictate too much of this stuff, we take away your creativity anyways. And uh, it didn't take long before we had that family working on refreshments through Saturday and showing up, not with stuff that they grabbed off the shelf, but stuff they'd worked on as a family. And then we've got multiple plants potted and carefully prepared to give to guests, and no one asked them to do that. And would you know that they had to like fight people off who wanted to help with all of this? Because as people learned about the reception, our members were trying to jump on and help. And this is before we had all those visitors between November and February. It was the COVID wave, right? So, blessed souls. And then as those visitors make their way, I'm sure they're going to give me the hardest time for this, but I'm just doing it, okay? So as visitors make their way into the reception and they get to know them, I'm finding out about meals at their house on a regular basis and others who are in there helping with the reception, inviting people in the homes for the meals. And then they end up in the membership class and the Irkins think, well, why don't we host a, a meal for people who just ended the membership class? And so now we've been doing that for a couple of years. And they've been generous with their home and with their time and with their hearts. And you all have done this kind of thing in different ways. A recent friend said, we could tell this was a place we could be a long time because of how loved we felt. Four women took an interest in my wife at the family meeting when we showed up for the first time, and one couple settled in for a conversation with us because they'd visited with us that morning. I've been to churches where everyone's back is to you, but your, your people kept facing us. And that was Harry and his wife who pursued them at the family meeting. The Fraley's apparently are known as the college visitor kidnappers. Uh, a member will invite a college student to their house, but they're already booked at the Fraley's. And if you can get a college student at your house in the fall, you better get there quick because you're never the first one to have them over. The Fraley's have always had them in their house. You don't have to be famous for that. They've already won. But you could be famous for something else. Now, I've got other stories here. Where does all this come from? Well, it's not us programming this stuff all the way down to the ground. You know, it's interesting. The apostles say, let brotherly love continue and then let it kind of hang. Two stress tests, two examples, two, two things you really ought to make sure you're doing, like about strangers and prisoners, and the rest takes care of itself. It's like baking bread, which I don't really do. I buy bread, eat bread. But... You need some material, right? The material, the yeast, 
You need the temperature, and you need some time. I know there's more to it. But that's how culture works. Cultures work that way. You know those little yogurts with billions of active cultures? That's not a selling point with me. Uh, for some of you, are all into billions of active cultures. Um, I guess they're good for us. So how does that happen? How is that cultivated? There's material, there's temperature, and there's, there's time. And it's like that way with the church, too. And it's one way we remind you that we stay out of your kitchens when it comes to the details of how you press these things out. We are deliberately unstructured past the basic things that we organize to do. And we even stagger things on Sunday to stay out of your week so that you can be good neighbors, so you can devote yourselves to your families, and so that you've got room to love each other during the week. And you're very, very good at it. Let brotherly love continue. And don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. In other words, don't give this up and don't relax on your warmth to our visitors and those traveling through and those considering a move here. When you get an email, lock on to them and see them all the way to a conclusion, whether they move here or, or not. Now, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You don't know who you're hosting. Maybe you're entertaining angels unawares. Maybe you'll get yourself in trouble one day when the pressure is tighter and there are risks to showing yourself a Christian. It's worth the risk. It was worth it for them and it's worth it for us. Let us never be a people that is scared to show hospitality for what it might cost us. All right, last one now. First was an umbrella command. Let brotherly love continue. Second, don't let up on hospitality to strangers and now don't let go of those who are in trouble for Christ. Let us love those who are mistreated among us. And I say among us on purpose. Who is he talking about? We have two parties here, those in prison, those mistreated. I take them together. Some mistreated have landed themselves in prison and some mistreated are not yet in prison. <laughs> There's different kinds of trouble that the things that we believe and the way that we live can invite. And why is this difficult? Well, in the first place, they're not with us, are they? Out of sight, out of mind. In the second place, they're a risk to us. For to go to prison, for example, and to identify with a Christian who has been thrown in prison simply for being a Christian is to mark yourself out. And as if it's the case in the Lord's providence, Christians have more trouble and for being faithful, find themselves consistently marked out, let's not get too sophisticated to visit brothers and sisters in prison or to identify with them in their hardship. Let's not take pride of a more sophisticated and refined way of engaging the culture that apparently, apparently they didn't have, and so they got in trouble. Show solidarity and imagine yourself in their shoes. That's what this is here. It's identification with them and using your imagination to put yourself in their situation as though in prison with them. Since you are in the body, it's an awkward phrase. It's something parallel to as though you were in prison with them as those who are also in the body. It's not quite how you'd say because you share in the same body of Christ. It, it seems like a way of saying because you have a body too. <laughs> in other words, you could be next. You could be mistreated in this very way. 
So don't be embarrassed about the mistreatment of others when you could be next and will need others imagining themselves in your shoes and identifying with, with you. Now, how good is the Lord to give us this precious set of commands? And even better to give us chapters 1 through 12, a vision of an unshakable kingdom, because our God is unshakable. The truth of his stability and our faith in his unchanging nature and promises is power for this kind of otherworldly, unshakable love. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess that we have not loved one another this way. And we ask for your help to love one another better this week. As we go home now, as we live with brothers and sisters, if you've given them to us in Christ in our homes, help us to be a faithful brother to our wives or a faithful sister to our husband, to cultivate homes marked by brotherly love. And help us to be a church that is marked by brotherly love so that we can say one to another with confidence and with great encouragement over and again until Christ comes. Let brotherly love continue. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.